reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 15. When they had passed through Amphilippus and (laughs) Apollonian, they came to Thessalonica, where where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world, they've now come here And Jason welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Druze believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Uh, Let me uh, lead us in time of prayer. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We praise you for it. We um, uh, acknowledge that you have... uh, Uh, revealed yourself to us and your plan and purpose uh, through the scriptures and ultimately in the person of your son the Lord Jesus Christ we want to pray now Father God for your Holy Spirit to be working uh, through the the, the scriptures to transform our hearts and our minds that we would be uh, people who truly put our faith in the Lord Jesus and live with him as our king we pray in Jesus name Amen one of the most exciting times uh, for Cassie and myself in our ministry uh, was all, also one of the most difficult times for us. Uh, we were serving in a small city church uh, where the, the Bible had not been clearly taught for a great number of years. And uh, uh, I was just out of college and we were... Um, three or four decades younger than most of the people in the church, uh, many of whom were very, very lovely people, and uh, it was an interesting and engaging 
um, satisfying but very challenging uh, time for us. Because what happens when a gospel-starved church starts being taught the Bible uh, week after week after week in Sunday services and in Bible studies and so on? What happens? You'd expect some change, wouldn't you? You'd expect things to be a little bit different. And that is exactly what happened because uh, some people... Uh, during that couple of years that we were there, they started to understand the gospel for the first time. And uh, they, uh, they found the, the true joy uh, that comes through uh, knowing of God's forgiveness and, and receiving eternal life. Um, one of them I remember quite clearly was one of the leaders of the church who became a Christian. He was an elder, uh, had been leading the church, and that was really, really wonderful to see him come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But not everyone was happy. And uh, pretty soon we um, found ourselves being treated at um, arm's length by some people, um, being criticised for things which were trivial, even for strange things. A very strange accusation levelled against me. And we were criticised for just speaking basic truths of the gospel, which uh, we in our youthful naivety assumed all people who went to church believed in. Some hearts uh, blossomed in the gospel, other hearts were exposed by the gospel. Now, explaining the gospel to to churchgoers who've not understood it is somewhat different to sharing the gospel with uh, people who, who've, who don't have any connection with the church at all because the starting point is different. Uh, when we share the, the gospel of Jesus with people uh, who are outside of the church who've got very little background in Christian things, how do we do it? Well, we, we look for points... Uh, where the gospel uh, intersects with their lives and uh, like a tangent to their life and we work from that basis and we'll see a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks time when we read about Paul uh, preaching the gospel in the Areopagus in Athens. But when within a, a gospel-starved church community um, people already have a, a concept of God which is broadly, you know, biblically shaped um, because they, they have a, a, a certain regard for the Bible as well. Uh, the Bible at least has some place uh, in their lives. And so the Bible can therefore be one of the starting points, if not the starting points. And in that sense, it's a bit like the opportunity that the Apostle Paul had when he took the Gospel uh, into, uh, into new places. Uh, because as we've seen over the last few weeks, if there was a Jewish community in a new city that he was taking the gospel to, uh, that's where Paul would go to. And Paul would be able to, to start evangelising that community with the scriptures. So how did that go? Well, uh, in the first half of Acts chapter 17, which you might want to have open in your Bibles, we see what happened in a couple of synagogues to 
very different synagogues in two different cities. Now, a couple of weeks back, uh, we saw how the gospel really shook things up in the city of Philippi. Do you remember that? I remember there was some, uh, some slave owners who became quite cranky because Paul had uh, exorcised, he'd driven out a, a, an evil spirit from their slave girl and uh, that uh, deprived them of um, profiteering from her fortune-telling. And so Paul and uh, Silas were put into prison and they had to leave Philippi. And leaving Philippi really just pushed them further along the road, (laughs) pushed them along to another city uh, to preach the gospel there. As we look at uh, chapter 17, verse 1, uh, they passed through two cities, Ampipolis and Apollonia, and probably stayed the night in each of those places because it was a fair journey that they were on before arriving at their destination city, the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is about 150 kilometres from Philippi. Now, in Thessalonica, they had a very big accusation levelled against them. You see it in verse 6. In verse 6, they were accused of, quote, causing trouble all over the world. Imagine that. Some, I know some people who would actually uh, wear that as a badge of honour. They would enjoy the notoriety of being a global troublemaker. Well, what did Paul and Silas do to deserve such a big charge as that? Well, let's check it out, shall we? Have a look at verse 2. Uh, where it says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, says Paul, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And you know what, friends? That's it. That's the reason that they were charged with being troublemakers all over the world. <laughs> now, it was the uh, custom for visiting teachers to be able to speak in, Bible, in synagogues. And Paul uh, had been a Pharisee, had uh, trained under one of the leading uh, rabbis of his day, a man by the name of Gamaliel. And so uh, when he went to a synagogue in the New City, he had an open door to speak. So what did he speak about? Well, you can see it wasn't some fluffy thought for the day, was it? It wasn't some, you know, feel-good, emotional, motivational talk. No, this was serious stuff. What does Luke tell us there? He says that he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, from the Old Testament Scriptures, He reasoned with people, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise again, which kind of exactly explains Jesus, doesn't it? (laughs) That the dead and the, the crucified and risen Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. 
Now, there are preachers today who claim to be biblical but who don't explain from the scriptures that the Christ had to die and rise again. And yet, this was the pattern of Paul's preaching, uh, which we see uh, in this section of Acts that we're looking at in this series, from chapter 16 of Acts through to chapter 19 of Acts. This is the pattern of his preaching that he reasoned with people in the synagogues, in, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens, in Corinth, and also in Ephesus. In every one of them, he reasoned with them, proving to them from the scriptures that the Christ had to die and rise again. Um, in fact, um, uh, in Acts chapter 13, we have... Uh, more of a filled out record of uh, one of the sermons that um, Paul preached that was in the synagogue in the city called Antioch. And uh, it, uh, we, we, we see the, the Old Testament scriptures that he quoted from, that he explained from uh, Psalm 2, from Isaiah 55, from Psalm 16, uh, that all of these scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus. And he explained the blessings of forgiveness and eternal life and the need to respond. That's Paul's gospel. <coughs> now, one man in that church where Cassie and I uh, served all those years ago was a Scotsman named John. And I remember this very clearly. He was a lovely man. And uh, one night, uh, we were, he'd been going to church all of his life uh, but he was burdened by not knowing if he had done enough to please God. And uh, so we had a Bible study group and um, we <clears throat> went through these basic Bible studies looking at some key scriptures. And I, I remember the Holy Spirit one night opened up his heart and I remember him saying to me, as we're looking at, I think it was Romans 5, uh, that he said to me, do you mean to say, Scott, that... When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin so that I can be forgiven? Yes, he did. That's what I'm saying, John. And you have to imagine his smile being as broad as his Scottish accent when he turned to me and he said to me, Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. As the Holy Spirit opened up his heart and his mind and he understood the God. And the same thing happened in the Thessalonian synagogue. Check it out in verse 4. Uh, Luke tells us that some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. I love that phrase, not a few prominent women, <laughs> because you're kind of using a negative to say the opposite to... It's like when someone says to you, how are you? And you say, not bad, which means I'm really good. <laughs> and that's what this means, that there was lots of women, there was a good number of prominent women, and women uh, focus here very much, and a large number of Greeks. These are Gentiles who had seen something attractive in Israel's God and had connected themselves to the synagogue and some Jews, some Jews believed. 
Now, you'd want more Jews to believe, but you know, you've got to say what sounds good. But not everyone is thrilled. You see, when we believe in Christ, we become connected with one another, don't we? Uh, and it says here that they, they joined Paul and Silas. Actually, in the original Greek, I think it says they were joined to them. So it's God actually doing that work. But we become connected in fellowship and in unity with one another. We, we, we feel that connection, don't we? We really do. People found unity and fellowship with Paul and Silas, which made the unbelieving Jews jealous because they're losing numbers. <laughs> and particularly, they may have been jealous that some of these Greeks who had started connecting with them were actually shifting off and were more connected with the gospel of Jesus being promoted by Paul and Silas. Now, I reckon that we would have been more impressed by these unbelieving Jews if the way that they reacted to that was to engage in, in theological debate with Paul, to actually debate with him, to, to show him from the scriptures why they thought that he was wrong. But, you know, when you don't have a leg to stand on, what do you do? Well, in verses 5 to 9, you round up a few thugs, you form a mob, you start a riot, and then you blame Paul. <laughs> It's classic renter crowd stuff. That's what it is. Apparently, the new Christians were, uh, they, they, they weren't meeting in the synagogue, they were now meeting in the home of one of the men who had come to faith. Uh, his name is Jason. They were meeting in Jason's home, but when the mob came knocking, Paul and Silas weren't there. They couldn't find them. And so they dragged Jason and some of the other Christians before the city officials. Check it out, second part of verse 6. There they are, and they've shouted out, they've got Jason and a few of the other Christians there, the new converts, and they say, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. You really reckon they could have cared about Caesar's, Caesar's decrees? Actually, there was a decree um, about 40 years or so earlier. Caesar Augustus had uh, issued a decree which outlawed, which made it illegal for anyone to, to predict the death of a ruler or a change of ruler. You're not allowed to go around saying that you think that the king's going to die or Caesar's going to die. I read in the news yesterday that Kim Jong-un is looking unwell these days, looking a bit thin. Um, South Korean medical experts now predict that he'll be dead by the age of 52. That's 13 years to go. I guarantee you this, no journalist in North Korea would have reported that story. <laughs> it's the same thing. 
Caesar made it illegal to predict the death of a king and his replacement with someone else. That's what Paul and Silas are being accused of. They're being accused of destabilising Caesar's position by proclaiming another king. What about that? Is that what they were doing? Were they guilty as charged? Well, of course not. I mean, there, there were outbreaks of Jewish nationalism uh, happening at that time, not only in Judea, but also in other parts of the empire as well. Um, however, there is absolutely nothing political about Paul's message and Paul was not plotting to overthrow Caesar. <laughs> the Jews knew that. They were just jealous. And yet, ironically, it's also true. For the risen Christ is now the ruler of the world. And if we trust in him, then he is now the ruler of our lives. Now, is that bad for Caesar? No, it's actually good for Caesar. Because if Jesus is our Lord, then our lives will be transformed. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. And if we live for him, it means we're living for other people. Uh, in fact, in Romans chapter 19, this same Paul who is being accused of trying to dethrone uh, Caesar in, Acts chapter in Romans chapter 13, uh, Paul actually teaches that we must submit to earthly authorities, that we must not rebel. He teaches that we should obey the law because the authorities have been put there by God, that we should obey the law, we should pay our taxes and that we should be the very best of citizens. And in that sense, the gospel clearly does turn the world upside down in a really good way. A really good way. But the Thess Thessalonian officials, they weren't interested in any of that. They just wanted Paul and Silas to move on and... Uh, which is what happened, they did, to another city and another synagogue. And pick it up at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul and Silas said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Well, that's a bit of a contrast, don't you reckon? In fact, it's quite interesting that Luke doesn't mention what Paul preached, that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the from the dead because he's more interested to describe for us how the Bereans responded. Now, in that uh, church where Cassie and I served, <clears throat> that I told you about, I was once told about one of the preachers who'd been preaching there before I came. 
And uh, <clears throat> the fellow who was telling me about this guy, who was one of the elders of the church, he said, he's such a good preacher that he doesn't even need to use the Bible. <laughs> I think I read his digest sermons or something like that. But how do you reckon he'd go in the Berean synagogue? You reckon, I don't reckon they'd tolerate him, do you? I don't reckon they would. No, the Bereans, these Berean Jews, they were as careful in hearing the Bible being taught as Paul was in teaching them. And Luke presents them as being, well, he says they are of more noble character, doesn't he? They're kind of like, they're the gold standard in how Jews ought to respond. The gold standard, why? Well, firstly, because they were eager to hear what Paul had to say so I take it that these were people who were really looking forward to the coming Messiah. They were really eager to hear what Paul had to say, but secondly, they weren't gullible. <laughs> they, they didn't just mindlessly accept what uh, the visiting preacher said. One of the reasons why here in church we um, have lots of Bibles spread out around the chairs and we always encourage you to have your Bibles open uh, when the Bible's being read and being preached, uh, is so that you can see for yourself uh, if what is being preached is what the Bible says or if it isn't. I, I remember uh, sitting in a sermon in the service in a big church some years ago when the, the preacher was absolutely enthralling. I still remember what he said and he was kind of walking around with the Bible in his arm and pointing to it. And, but what he was saying was absolutely not biblical. No one was reading their Bibles. No one had a Bible open in front of them. Afterwards, I went around telling everyone that it was all heresy. <laughs> it was not biblical, that they shouldn't believe what he was saying. Don't believe the preacher. Believe the Bible. Like the Bereans, who in verse 11 examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul and Silas said was true. They gave him a fair hearing, didn't they? Rather than being <clears throat> prejudiced by jealousy, they were open minded and serious minded. And the result being that many Berean Jews believe the gospel. <clears throat> Very different to the Jews in Thessalonica, who, uh, when they got wind of what God had been doing in Berea, um, some of them jumped on their horses or whatever uh, and did the 72-kilometre trip to get to Berea to form another renter crowd which resulted in Paul leaving the city and taking the gospel to the cultural capital of the ancient world, the city of Athens. So what about us? As we listen to the scriptures being taught, uh, what kind of hearers are we? Are we like the Bereans 
seriously considering the gospel with an open mind and an open heart. You know, it's, uh, it's very easy just to be a churchgoer, isn't it? Very easy. Um, <clears throat> some years ago, one of the uh, ladies here in church told me that she'd recently become a Christian. And that's, that's always terrific news, isn't it? You'd expect me to be rejoicing to hear that, but I actually was kind of a bit puzzled because <laughs> I said to her, what do you mean? I said, I've, I've known you for years. I thought you were a Christian. And I had no reason to think otherwise. And she said to me, no. She said, I realised that I was actually just a churchgoer. That God has worked in my life and now I understand the true meaning. And ever since, it's been really exciting. You know, um, <clears throat> when I... Uh, I guess that's a challenge for each of us to put our trust in Christ, isn't it? And yesterday when I asked Nancy if I could share that story, she told me that uh, having been away for a month, she doesn't know what we're doing here in church. She said, you know what, Scott? I really love Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. <laughs> well, we're going to dive into... Thessalonians next week to see what happened to these uh, people that those 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 people who in Thessalonica did respond to the gospel. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you for the work of your word and spirit. Uh, for we know that it is only through this, the Word and Spirit that we can come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in many of our lives in helping us to understand that the Christ had to die and rise again, that our sins would be paid for, we receive forgiveness and eternal life. We pray for uh, anyone here who's struggling with that, who perhaps... Uh, realises that they've been a churchgoer for a long time but not actually made that commitment and we pray that you would um, enable them to do so, Lord God, and help each of us to uh, uh, live with Jesus as our King, as the ruler of our lives. We pray these things in his most precious name. Amen.